This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Now, the world of COVID is seeming to be very busy with the National Command Council meeting and suggesting to the president that we should be moving to level two of the lockdown. It has been a full four months since South Africa went into lockdown in an attempt to limit the spread of the novel coronavirus. Over half a million people, possibly more, have been infected with over 10,000 losing their lives. In the past few days, we have seen a drop in the number of infections and admissions to hospital due to COVID-19. Might we have passed the worst of the pandemic? Is it time for the president to lift the restrictions? For more on this, we are joined by political analyst Bumelelo Mkabela. Thank you so much, Bumelelo, for joining us here on the COVID report. Now, in your view, do you think it is time for the country to move down to lockdown level two or ease some of the restrictions? And do you believe we have passed the worst in the fight against COVID-19? Hi, uh, Sipo, and thanks for inviting me to your show. Well, I don't think that it's time to lift the restriction entirely. Um, There is scope for adjustment, uh, as the president calls it, uh, risk-adjusted strategy. So there is scope for adjustment, and the scope has been there for a while, uh, including the scope for unbanning uh, of alcohol sales or distribution, as well as unbanning of uh, uh, cigarettes. Um, I think uh, in the first place, uh, these decisions were not uh, uh, thoughtfully considered. Um, It was just, in my opinion, a knee-jerk response by the government uh, as a result of its failure to enforce existing laws on alcohol or even the most stringent laws on alcohol um, during the state of national disaster. Um, if I may just make an example, let's take alcohol. Um, the reason why alcohol was banned was that um, there was an increase, we were told by the health minister and the government and other uh, officials. There was an increase in a, a hospital admiss- admissions related to trauma. And uh, they, those uh, trauma cases were linked to uh, consumption of alcohol. Some of them were were related to um, car accidents that were caused by uh, people who were driving under the influence of alcohol, as well as the violence uh, that was also linked to a consumption of uh, alcohol. So the idea was that if you uh, uh, ban alcohol, then you reduce the pressure on hospitals, and then hospitals will then be able to have space to deal with people that are uh, infected with the uh, COVID-19. But if you scratch a little bit further into the detail. For me, I think the reason why they actually had to ban alcohol was precisely because they could not enforce the strict measures that came with allowing alcohol consumption. Because you could have allowed alcohol consumption, but uh, implement strict measures around it. For example, why are people not being arrested if they are driving under the influence of alcohol? I mean, to the extent that they even cause uh, accidents and then increase hospital uh, uh, admissions. Uh, Why, for example, is the government not able to enforce um, strict compliance with the the, the timelines for the sales of uh, alcoholic beverages? So the government didn't even bother to, to do a study in terms of which areas of South Africa were the most affected by this increase of uh, trauma admissions linked to alcohol. 
Because had they done a study like that, they would have discovered that these are the areas perhaps that need much more stricter policing and a much more stricter uh, regulation in terms of imposition of curfew, for example. Um, so they didn't bother to do that. So the shortcut to failure to enforce rules, the shortcut is to ban the whole thing completely. So for me, that it was an indication of uh, incompetence uh, towards um, uh, enforcing the rules. So you take a shortcut and in that way, uh, the country has suffered economically. And you also deprive people who are normally good at consuming the products uh, responsibly. Uh, you are depriving them simply because there are a few rotten apples that you cannot handle. Now, still on the bans that you've spoken on, both the alcohol and tobacco industry have complained that this time has allowed for the strengthening of the illicit market. Is this something that the government can dismantle when the markets for these products go back onto the shelves? Well, obviously the, the, the banning of cigarettes allowed for the illicit market that was always there, by the way. It was always there even before uh, lockdown, even before the banning of cigarettes. But it, what happened during this a period of lockdown is that that illicit market uh, expanded quite aggressively because obviously there were no legal products that were competing uh, with these illegal uh, products. So they were having fun uh, with the open market unchallenged by the legal products. So, and th those people who are responsible for the spread of uh, uh, the illicit market are both people that are in the state system it includes law enforcement officers uh, uh, in the value chain who allow the, the trafficking of these uh, products, who allow the, the, the crossing of the borders of these uh, products uh, to be imported from different parts of the world. And it also, uh, it also, it also involves uh, illicit uh, traders. So these are people that have benefited handsomely since the cigarette uh, ban was imposed. And they obviously have vested interest in continuing to consolidate their position in the market. So it's not like when you now unban the cigarettes, that, that illicit market is gonna go away. This period of banning the legalized cigarette gave this uh, a market uh, uh, an opportunity to consolidate. Um, as I was saying, even before the lockdown, the, the government, SARS, uh, honest police officers and other state authorities were already battling with this illicit market. Uh, many a times we would uh, uh, read stories or see uh, on television some of these sites being raided, some of these products being confiscated and destroyed. And the SARS every year would tell you how much they are losing as a result of the, this illicit market. So you can imagine what then would have happened when the legalized cigarettes was now also banned. So these guys now enjoyed full control uh, of the market. So it's going to even be much harder now, even if you unban cigarettes now, to drive them out. So they are much more entrenched than ever before. Now, compared to other countries, South Africa has had one of the longest national lockdowns. Although our numbers of infections and death are slightly lower than some countries, was it necessary? Can we, in fact, now do away with the state of disaster that has been in place since March? Is it time? No, you can't do away with the state of national disaster completely because the virus has not gone away. The virus is with us. People continue to be infected. People continue to die. There are still hospital admissions. Um, some people still require ventilation. Some people are in ICU. 
and all of that. The fact that the numbers are, are coming down slightly is not cause for celebration and is not cause for a relaxation as far as I'm concerned. It would be the biggest mistake for people to think that uh, we have to drop our guard in every respect because uh, you could easily have a, a, a new round of infections and you could easily have a resurgence of the virus. And we don't know what would happen if it were to have a, a second bite. Uh, maybe the second round might be much harsher, uh, even driving us to level six for that matter. Who knows? So it's important, in my opinion, that uh, even though restrictions uh, may be loosened a bit to, to, to save the economy, um, it's still important for the government to enforce uh, the rules. It's still important for, the, for society to comply uh, with the rules, especially with the standard hygienic uh, measures that, uh, that are being preached to society almost on a daily basis. So it's still very early to, to say, you know, you want to, we want to drop our guard. And I think what has happened is that the numbers have been high for a while. And I think psychologically, many people have kind of like adjusted to that kind of level of uh, um, acceptance to the extent to which the virus has, has expanded in the country. And once people have adjusted to that level where we are, they suddenly don't see it as astronomical as we originally saw it in the beginning. And we're beginning to say, well, this thing is not as bad as we thought. So we might as well start relaxing. Yes, we can relax a lot of uh, many parts of the economy, uh, but still we need to have certain rules that are exceptional, rules that ordinarily would not apply uh, in case where there was no coronavirus. So looking at the tender fraud and corruption, which takes a new face every day, it seems that the governing ANC using this to fight political factions. What are your thoughts around this fight? And should it be a contentious one at all? Well, I think my view about this whole scandal of uh, PPEs, and I mean, it shows for me um, a lack of strategic foresight on the part of the government. I remember uh, when the state of the national disaster was announced, uh, it was a mention that um, because government officials would not be uh, uh, working uh, full time in offices, and because you need emergency procurement of a lot of goods and services, so you, on an emergency basis, so you, 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 a lot of the protocols and regulations around procurement will have to be bypassed. So I remember writing a piece uh, uh, where I actually said, well, what could potentially go wrong under the circumstances if the procurement rules that normally apply are suspended? And what could potentially go wrong if normal rules like uh, freedom of association, freedom of assembly, freedom of movement of people, is restricted, and these are freedoms that are enshrined in the Constitution. And my answer was that a lot can go wrong. And uh, 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 once you suspend rules, obviously there's a scope for abuse. Uh, and I actually put it up front that the resources could be abused. And I was not the only one. Many people did point out that actually, if even in the presence of rules, when there's no state of national disaster, you have this irregular and fruitless expenditure in government running into billions of rents across all spheres of government. What more when the, these rules are now suspended? Obviously, we expected the worst. But it looks like it was those of us outside government who foresaw that. And the people that were supposed to put uh, in place measures to prevent or to mitigate against that, including the president and his cabinet, they were fast asleep, only waking up now uh, to set up interministerial committees about PPEs and all of that. 
where were they when we were warning them that actually this state of, uh, national disaster is going to allow for looting of public resources? Now they appear as if they are shocked and they are announcing all kinds of, uh, uh, at least rhetorical, they are announcing all kinds of measures and they are talking tough. But we have been highlighting that these things are likely to happen. So a government that has got strategic foresight, that, is, uh, that always plays around possible scenarios. And that is wise enough. We would have long foreseen this, and they would have long closed the gaps. And they would have known who are the people that are more likely to abuse the system. And it, they would have known that it would have been their own comrades. So now they are running around almost as if uh, they did not know almost as if they were shocked. And suddenly we must believe them when they say they're gonna take action. Quite frankly, I don't buy all of that. And I think the government's response to the whole crisis of scandals around PPEs, I think is just public relations stance. Just public relations stance, many would agree with you. Now there will be a time that COVID-19 is no longer part of our lives. And how do we start preparing for a post-COVID-19 South Africa. The economy is in contraction. Many industries were brought to a standstill. Unemployment, especially among the youth, is at crisis levels. What can be done? There's a lot that can be done. I mean, South Africa has got a a huge uh, potential economically and also in many other respects. But you would recall, Sipo, that even uh, before COVID-19 struck us, uh, the government could not produce an economic plan for the country. The economy was in recession before COVID-19 happened. And there were already fights in government about how the economy could be turned around. Um, the Minister of Finance even produced his own economic growth uh, plan. And then you will remember that when he produced that plan, he said, look, there's some kind of inertia here. Let me take the initiative and uh, and 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 and, uh, and 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 deal with it. And when he published this document, uh, he was summoned by the ANC top six, and they complained about lack of consultation. And the and the tripartite alliance also complained about lack of consultation. And the president did nothing to defend his finance minister. And not that not because the president had any alternative uh, policy himself. He has never articulated any policy of economic recovery at all. Um, whether it's about state-owned enterprises, whether it's about dealing with the fiscal deficit, whether it's dealing about dealing with the high rise in public debt and the interest payment on debt that is now shooting up the roof, he has never come up with a with a solution. So, and when the finance minister Tito Mboweni was coming up with all kinds of ideas, it 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 almost sounds like he, he was left on the lurch to fend for himself without the defense of the president or cabinet colleagues. So I, I have my doubts, given the fact that we could not come up with a policy before Corona, I'm not sure whether we can come up with a convincing policy post the coronavirus. I mean, uh, you can see even now that many companies, they would like to expand their investments, but they don't, they're not getting any support from the government. Um, uh, I mean, if you look at the beverage companies in the value chain, for example, Consul Plus, they had to cancel their, they announced that they're postponing their capital investment projects running to billions. They announced uh, that uh, that was because the government has uh, banned uh, alcohol. Therefore, they cannot save their clients, which is normally your big companies like SAP, uh, Distel, and others. And uh, SAP itself said they were going to stop 
some of their capital expansion projects running into billions. Uh, Henneken, the beer brewer, they said they were also going to stop their capital project. So you, you have uh, investors here crying out uh, uh, to be assisted and the government is nowhere to be seen. So I actually, I'm a, I'm a little bit pessimistic until I'm proven otherwise that the government is capable of putting together an economic recovery plan uh, that can suit the circumstances we are in, which is now a huge uh, recession. I mean, we are going into depression, actually. Scary times indeed. And you mentioned a lot of the work of government. This brings to question, what would you say about President Selv Ramaphosa's leadership style throughout the fight of the pandemic? Well, in the beginning, I mean, uh, you remember when he, before he announced the state of national disaster, uh, he consulted with the different political parties, different organizations, and just to bring them on board about what the government was going to do, because it was for the first time in a long time that we were going to have a, 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 a disaster uh, a, a management plan of this nature that literally involves the whole country. So at the beginning, he showed really, really good leadership getting everyone on board and then announcing uh, the decision to declare a state of national disaster, uh, 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 you know, blocking the borders uh, and, and all of that. So, and all political parties praised him for, for that, for being decisive. However, what happened is that as time went on, uh, the regulations that accompanied that declaration of state of national disaster uh, became incoherent. They became irrational and they were revised without being thought through properly. And they didn't make sense. Remember, at some point, we had to debate about whether people should jog or whether they should jog in groups. There was a debate you know, about you know, uh, whether or not uh, people should uh, be on the streets at a particular time and what impact that would have on the spread of uh, the virus. There were a lot of other irrational decisions that they the government took, including this irrational decision of banning cigarettes and the failure to monitor the uh, compliance with alcohol rules and instead, I mean, deciding to ban the whole thing overall. So, so all of these regulations over time, they kind of like uh, 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 tarnished the president's uh, initial uh, reputation as somebody who was in charge of this disaster management plan of the government. So over time, he became he increasingly looked like a lame duck president who was not in charge, who was not decisive, and uh, over consulting even when he was not supposed to consult. Uh, you remember at some point there was an issue about the churches; the, uh, church gatherings were banned, and then he consulted a few churches and then he unbanned them, and then he said only 50 people can meet in a church. Immediately after that decision was announced, many churches issued statements and said, our churches are not going to allow for, for, for congregations. So we actually questioned who the president was talking to when he actually announced that he was going to allow church gatherings to open because the big churches like ZTC, you know, you name them, they said, no, they were not going to, they don't need to meet. So I think the president over time, he became a, a somebody who was more like a lame duck, somebody who was communicating the decisions of other people, not a decision maker himself. You, real, you remember how he was contradicted by, by Nkosa Zanajlamini Zuma on the issues of cigarettes after he had announced that cigarettes would be allowed. And only for Nkosa Zanajlamini Zuma to come back later and say, no, 
uh, uh, we're not going to allow the decision. So, and the president coming across as if he's capitulating. So all of those things, they ate into the president's uh, ability to govern. They ate into the president's reputation as a leader who, who can be decisive. And I think as things stand now, uh, the ratings on, of, of the president are actually, in my opinion, they're extremely low. They have never been so low. Slow ratings for our president. As we contemplate, should we be moving to level two of the lockdown? And that was political analyst Mbumanelum Kabela. Thank you so much for joining us here on the COVID report. Uh, thanks, Ipo, for inviting me. Now, we went out and asked South Africans, why do they think we should move to lockdown level two? And this is what they had to say. I think we need to move to lockdown level two because the economy is suffering. People are losing their jobs and therefore lockdown level two will assist us to recover some of their lost jobs. I think we still need lockdown as much as the number of infections is dropping because we haven't arrived yet. Um, the, the weather is becoming warmer. It's, it's a good one. However, we still need people to to take care of themselves and the government to help us, to help the people to take care of themselves. Because if we can let people do what they want to do, I think we might go back to level five again. I don't think we have arrived yet. Hi, my name is Bula and I'm currently based in Bramfontein. I think we should and can move to level two of lockdown. One of the reasons for that is I think that uh, people are kind of getting into this space of lockdown fatigue where they're uh, beginning to lose the importance of why we're in lockdown and why we need um, uh, spatial um, distancing and why we need to kind of continue doing what we're doing. Um, and so it, it will be good to give some ease to that. I think it'll also be positive on the economy. Of course, there are quite a number of other reasons why uh, we should uh, be able to move to level two. I think we shouldn't remove lockdown altogether, as I don't think that would be positive for us at all. One of the reasons for that is looking at places like Australia and the likes, where they've had zero cases, but they're beginning to rise and come out of that and get more cases um, as well. And so we wouldn't want to find ourselves in those danger zones altogether. So it's good for maintaining some kind of control. I think it would also be good to educate the public and uh, still be very strict on instruction and caution in making sure that our people don't uh, get this virus and it doesn't spread uh, beyond our control. Um, hi, Pelanye, uh, currently based in Joburg. Um, we've come a long way. Um, um, I think also the country needs to hear some good news from the presidency. I think moving to level two would be one of those good news. Um, I think in the theme also of good news, I think um, maybe I can add the, that uh, Russia have found a vaccine. So I don't know what that means or how it would affect the decisions of the country. But I think also that's good news. Um, so just coming back to the question of going to level two, I think there are three issues that should be addressed uh, coming to the question of level two. Uh, the issue of infections, um, the state's preparedness to handle coronavirus pandemic. The overall, I think the very big question is the economy. So I think moving to level two is a good idea. Um, Level 3 has been one of the most confusing um, levels. I think also 
there were some testing and trying there and seeing if things would work out so in this case you find that uh, the banning and unbanning of alcohol was the issue also there i think the easing of um restaurants opening up more restaurants and putting some restrictions also to say okay restaurants are open but uh certain hours i think also um certain restrictions on whether you can stay for your meal or take your meal uh home so those are the uh, important questions um to address for level two so but i think yes the country can move to level two same thing applies if things go well for level two then we can move to level one but if things don't go as expected or some of the um or infections increases in this case then we can apply the same mechanisms or tactics that were applied in level three in this case um some restrictions would be um um enforced some restrictions would be eased and so forth so moving to level two is uh an important i think it's also important i think the country needs progress um so moving to level two would be one of those progress um and also the promise of uh, opening up the economy and moving to the normal i think that would be very encouraging for many south africans and that was what some of our fellow south africans had to say about moving to level two of the lockdown this podcast was brought to you by voice of vets by voice of vets to hear more of our shows tune in to 88.1 or streams via www.vafm.co.za